You are listening to Bit Podcast, a business podcast series produced by BitPod on behalf of PKF Malta. This series is brought to you by BitPod's co-founder, Dr. Marilyn Formosa. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We welcome you to another session of BitPod by PKF Malta. This is Marilyn Formosa. And today I'm very happy to introduce Dr. Mark Gauci, the CEO of OHSA, the Malta Occupation Health and Safety Authority. Hello, Dr. Gauci. Hello to you and to all the listeners. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation to join us. This is a different topic to the usual financial aspects that we explore, and yet a very, very relevant and interesting one that we are excited to, to discuss together. Yes, it is a pleasure also for me to participate in this BitPod. Uh, occupation health and safety is a very important subject, and also it has um, a lot of relevance to the financial sector as well. Fantastic. We're looking forward to seeing how those dots merge within our discussion. Starting off at the top, why would you say the OHS is important? First of all, it is important to recognize that uh, it is true that the implementation of measures to safeguard occupational health and safety uh, costs money. However, these costs should not be perceived as a burden because of their return on investment. The European Agency for Occupational Safety and Health, in fact, estimates that for every one euro invested in safeguarding the workers' health and safety, generates a return of uh, 2.2 euros, which is quite a substantial amount of uh, return on investment. Good occupational health and safety practices reduce absenteeism at places of work because they uh, prevent uh, workers from falling ill or getting injured. They also help to retain older workers in the workplace, and older workers are already trained workers. They are very knowledgeable about the work that they are expected to perform, uh, and they are, in all senses, competent in what they are expected to do. Adequate levels of health and safety means that the business's productivity is sustained, as well as reputation. Imagine waking up one morning, opening the newspaper, and seeing on the front page that a worker, for example, loses his life at such and such a company. So there is also a, a reputational cost which can be involved. However, it's not just the businesses themselves that can benefit. Improved productivity and a healthy workforce are good for the economy as well, um, because of the sustained productivity. There is also the impact that negative effects of health and safety have on, uh, on healthcare delivery. Uh, injured and sick workers are treated within Malta's National Health Service, and therefore that comes with an associated cost. As I said, good levels of health and safety stimulate more efficient working methods and also uh, lead to the use of more innovative technology. Thus, there's a reduction in the burden on society. Uh, because, as I said, sick workers or injured workers need to be cared for uh, by society in general. And it is 
also interesting to point out that a study, a research study carried out for OHSA Malta just before uh, 2010, the study indicates that around point, just over 0.5% of the country's GDP is lost as a result of poor occupational health and safety standards. Now, if that figure were to be applied to Malta's GDP over the recent years, that would equate to around 70 million euros being lost as a result of uh, inadequate levels of health and safety. You've really given a very comprehensive, almost comes full circle overview at the very start. So far we spoke about the workplace generally, in a generic fashion. But obviously there are there is a multitude of different types of workplaces. So how does it all work in practice? Who is responsible for OHS at a workplace, be it an office, be it a school, perhaps, be it a construction site? How, how does it all work? Um, that's a very interesting question, but there are no two ways uh, of answering it. Basically, according to the Principal Act, the Occupational Health and Safety Authority Act, which is the Principal Act in force in Malta, it is the employer who is ultimately responsible for safeguarding occupational health and safety. Now, this is not a principle which, uh, with which we came uh, up with ourselves in Malta, but the same principle echoes or mirrors a similar principle which is established in the so-called framework directive, or rather the, the FED directive uh, issued uh, at EU level and uh, under which all other daughter directives were published. Now, whereas every worker has the duty to safeguard his or her own uh, health and safety uh, and that of others who may be affected by the work being carried out, the Act and the Framework Directive established the principle that workers' obligations in the field of occupational health and safety shall not affect the principle of the responsibility of the employer. There's a very simple reason why uh, this is so, and that is, it is because the, uh, it is the employer who is creating risk by virtue of the work being carried out on his behalf. And for this reason, it is the employer who has to be held liable and responsible for any actions uh, committed or not committed. So for any acts of commission or omission uh, regarding occupational health and safety. Dr. Gauci, the OHSA, as an authority, we read, is responsible for ensuring the physical, psychological, as well as the social well-being of all workers in all workplaces. I would like to pose a question to you. In your view and very vast experience as you've been in this space and role for almost the last 20 years, right? Which one of these notions is the most difficult to, uh, to execute, to implement the physical, the psychological or the social and why? In reality, everything is important. Uh, however, it is also important to understand what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, within the parameters of what is re regulated under or in terms of the Occupational Health and Safety Authority Act. Now, when it comes to health, there are two important aspects, and that is the physical aspect of health, as well as the psychological uh, aspect. Both are important because uh, if a worker suffers from some disease, 
as a result of an exposure to a physical agent, for example, at a place of work, then the consequences of, uh, would be physical ill health. On the other hand, if there is an organizational failing uh, which is leading to uh, problems of a psychological nature, uh, then obviously the worker is also going to suffer consequences, this time in relation to the psychological aspects of his health. When it comes to well-being, again, that is something which is stipulated in the Act. And there are various regulations which uh, refer to uh, those aspects of well-being which need to be introduced, or rather, which need to be ensured uh, at every place of work. And here we're talking about uh, hygiene, access to water, sanitary facilities, washing facilities, uh, and so on and so forth. So, in a sense, the well-being aspect is not highlighted as much as the other two, but that does not uh, mean to say that the, the, uh, the well-being of a worker is not important. One has to realize that both the physical and psychological ill health can affect the well-being, the general well-being of a worker. So, in a sense, the general well-being is an umbrella term that includes both the psychological and the physical aspect uh, of health as well. And now for a quick intermission. At PKF Walter, we offer a full range of immigration solutions and have dedicated ourselves to meeting excellence as a standard every time. This year, our VIP Client Handling Division celebrates seven years of success, gratitude, friendship and trust. Our current offering covers second passport and permanent residence options for the following countries. Malta, Bulgaria, Turkey, the Caribbean islands of St. Kitts, Dominica and Grenada as well as E2 business visa applications for the US and the vetted EB-5 investment option through our trusted partners. Be a part of our success story. Get in touch with PKF Malta today. In, in practical terms, so when we look at feet on the ground, grassroots level of, of workplaces, I think you would agree that we are still facing considerable challenges in terms of implementing uh, such notions from a practical aspect, looking at day-to-day, normal life, people get up and go to work, um, you know, what happens on the ground, really. When one talks of physical safety, to me, the first and automatic trigger that comes to mind or where rather the safety can be you know, most, most relevant perhaps because of the danger involved, tends to come into the fore of the construction sphere. And while me as a private individual can comment and say that in the last years, one can note a considerable improvement in uh, sightings. For example, we see more and more workers wearing the relevant safety gear, helmets and, and goggles and so on. Me, again, as a private individual, have witnessed, simply passing by down the street, um, situations where a worker is coming into some form of argument with his superior over wearing said protective gear. For some reason, there seems to be a deep-rooted 
cultural uh, shift that perhaps we need to we need to implement before all of this is taken more to heart from your view and perspective and experience of having been in this role for almost the last 20 years what are your comments on this yes whereas it is important to highlight the definite improvements that there have been uh, with regards to occupational health and safety. If I can just mention the improvement with regards to injury and fatality rates. When OHSA started its operations, the injury rate was close to uh, nine fatal accidents per 100,000 employees. Here we have also we have witnessed uh, a fatality rate of just over one. And there were several years when the fatality rate was less than half about rates here. So uh, that is permissible to say that there was uh, 0.05 fatal uh, fatal accidents per 100,000 employees. Um, whereas the injury rate has re- been reduced from around uh, close to 4,000 injuries per 100 employees to just under 1,000 injuries per 100,000 employees. And that is, uh, th- those are statistics which are there. They are evidence of the marked improvement that there has been with regards to the occupational health and safety standards. But along the years, there have been several new challenges. First of all, it is important to point out that the construction industry is a high-risk sector everywhere. Uh, both the European Agency for Health and Safety at Work, the International Labour Organization, the World Health Organization, they all refer to the construction industry as the one which is associated with the highest rate of injuries, uh, fatalities and the health. So that is a situation which is not only a prevalent in Malta. What is different in the case of Malta and our impact to situations? First of all, the way by which we construct is totally unique to Malta. And there is no other place where construction takes place in the way that uh, buildings are constructed in Malta. Secondly, because of its size, all construction sites in Malta are visible. They are visible to any person who happens to pass by. So yes, uh, it is uh, very easy to witness Uh, unsafe practices being used. However, to the trained eye, such uh, unsafe practices can also be seen outside of Malta. But that is no excuse. I'm not saying that in any way the fact that unsafe practices and accidents and fatal accidents also happen outside of Malta, that is excuse for the situation in Malta. I am talking from the statistical point of view. Because OHSA firmly believes, and I also firmly believe in the notion that every accident is one too many, because the vast majority of accidents can be avoided. I did mention that through over the years there have been several new challenges. First of all, uh, the greatest challenge concerns the utilization of foreign workers. Now, foreign workers. The term foreign workers is, is an umbrella term which encompasses a lot of different people coming from different countries. They may be in Malta legally, they may be uh, in Malta illegally, they may have been brought in by um, a client or by a developer or by a contractor. What is important is that these foreign workers very often do not understand either Maltese or English, so it is very difficult for the duty holder 
to communicate with them in a language which they can understand. The an analysis of the number of fatalities where uh, that occur in Malta that have been registered in Malta shows that around just over 20% of all accidents involve heavy machinery, for example, be it a crane, uh, a mobile crane or a tower crane, uh, concrete mixers and so on. Uh, more maintenance and care that such equipment uh, requires. When such care and maintenance are not given and these machinery are not uh, submitted to a suitable system of maintenance, then the risk of uh, accidents increases. So those are the two commoner causes, or rather the two bigger challenges that uh, OHSA has to face uh, with regards to uh, the construction industry. Dr. Gauci, in life in general, I tend to find that the common denominator in any discussion often comes down at some point or other to education. Now, the OHSA knows the parameters, the requirements, the statistics, the challenge areas, and also the improvements. However, the question is, how do you and the organization go about ensuring that the employers are educated sufficiently to execute this? How are they trained? Are there, I don't know, courses maybe split by sector? How is the enforcement part carried out, really? Uh, yes, one of the functions of OHSA is uh, the promotion of training. OHSA, in fact, is precluded by law from uh, providing uh, training to workers. And that is because it is the duty of an employer to provide training to uh, his or her employees, which is site-specific and task-specific. Mm -hmm. OHSA can only promote training and it can only organize awareness-raising uh, activities. Now, in its role of promoting training, OHSA uh, has taken a number of initiatives over the years. First of all, one of the, when OHSA started operations, um, there was no formal uh, system of training in Malta at university level. And that was a lacuna which needed to be addressed uh, at that time. And OHSA was instrumental in launching the first diploma course uh, at the University of Malta dealing specifically with occupational health and safety. Secondly, OHSA has uh, come up with a number of, uh, in my opinion, valid suggestions as to what level of training and who is uh, required to uh, attend this training. And one of OHSA's suggestions was to have all workers on construction sites to have received a certain amount of training uh, before they allowed on such construction sites. Now, this idea was taken on board by the Building Industry Consultative Council, which eventually launched the so-called skills, skills card. Uh, now, this is a system which uh, involves a certain amount of training for all workers, all tradespersons, but also uh, all professionals who, in one way or another, are connected with uh, construction. Uh, the system has uh, is functioning. It is 
has started to address a number of uh, of trades, um, but will eventually uh, be extended to cover all trades uh, and therefore all trades persons working in construction industry, as well as the various professionals who should have received basic information about, for example, risks uh, on construction sites, the difference between a hazard and how to calculate the resultant risk, basic uh, protective and preventive measures that should be taken and when. And so at least once the system is fully operational, uh, all work workers, including the foreign workers who I said are posing a challenge, uh, should have been received a certain amount of training. This is not to say that the skills card would replace the training which by law needs to be given by an employer to uh, his employees because the training needs to be uh, related to the site and every site is different and therefore it creates different hazards the risks would be different uh, and so the training that an employer is expected or duty bound to give to the employees needs to be a site and work uh, activity uh, specific. This is a very sensible and logical mapping process of, of how to go about it. Thank you very much for sharing this with us. I'd like to turn now to the aspect of mental health, which is one of the three core sort of areas of which the OHSA is responsible for promoting the well-being of. So far and to date, I think there is very much still, you know, openly still remains a big stigma. Mental health remains a big stigma. It remains very much a private matter in terms of, you know, awareness, but also in terms of if you need, if you need any, if you feel you need any assistance, then it's, it's your own private sort of problem to solve. So it is interesting and it was very interesting to me to learn that it is such a fulcrum of the OHSA's remit. And I wanted to exchange with you some notes as to the approach promoted by yourselves to bridge this gap between what the ideal is and the reality that very much surrounds us around this topic. Okay, as um, we discussed earlier on, there are two important aspects to uh, our workers' health, and it is the physical and psychological aspects of health. Mental health, uh, especially uh, not just because there's a stigma associated with it, but also because uh, it is a, a very common problem which is not very easily understood. Uh, it's not given the importance that it should. Now, the commonest problem that can affect uh, mental health is in reality uh, stress. Now, if you go out on the streets and start asking people whether they suffer from stress, the vast majority will definitely answer yes. Uh, stress is a, is a very common uh, situation. Stress, in fact, is a, a defense mechanism to protect itself, to protect its integrity, to protect its wholeness, as it were. However, when stress leads uh, to, uh, or rather, when stress levels reach a certain point, which do not allow the person to function as well as he or she should, then that is a problem, and that is when uh, mental health 
uh, issues uh, start coming to the fore. Now, it is important that one has to distinguish between issues which are under the control of the employer and others which are not. For example, stress arising out of a problem, or rather to ensure that the stress within that worker is adequately being taken care of. Obviously, there, if I can just make a reference, a speedy reference to the current COVID-19 pandemic. It's a situation which is causing a lot of stress amongst a lot of people. But as I said before, distinguishing between something which is under the control of, employ of the employer and something which is not, the rate of community transmission is not under the control of and neither is it the responsibility of the employer. But the taking of measures to safeguard the health and safety of that employee is part of the responsibility of an employer. Similarly, the risk of closure as a result of loss of business is not intrinsically managed by the employer. And therefore, the employer can only mitigate the resulting, uh, the resulting stress. For example, by ensuring good channels of communication, establishing employee support, encouraging employees to talk about their fears, while addressing some irrational fears which may result from uh, false information which is spreading like wildfire all over the place. False information being bended around and this needs to be addressed. So it is important, uh, as I said, to keep in mind that the worker is one whole being. Any stress that results from a cause outside of the workplace will still have an effect on the psychological health and therefore the ability to function uh, adequately at the place of work. The employer's best interest to mitigate the effects of stress irrespective of the cause uh, or origins. One way, one important way of doing this is by ensuring uh, adequate communication, keeping communi uh, communication channels uh, open at all times and allowing the participation uh, of workers in all decisions uh, that can affect their health and safety. And this is something which is extremely important. Uh, even, for example, in the development of policies, of workplace policies, uh, workers should be consulted and allowed to participate, give their, uh, give their views, air uh, their concerns, and so on, if the policy is to be owned by the workers themselves. Otherwise, it would remain a piece of paper that people may be aware of, but nothing really does anything about it. The COVID, obviously, it would not have done justice to the session if we omitted to, to delve into it somewhat. So, yes, it is, it is a immensely, excruciatingly relevant, a very sui generis situation that our generation, until now, never had to deal with, but, but somehow we are. And on this point, I wanted to ask you again, going to the practical aspect, which I'm most interested in, the employer and the workplace, can they enforce, for example, wearing a mask at all times? How can they impose or enforce social distancing? Is there a directive that they can actually say, listen, this is how it has to be? Because more or less sort of everybody has been left to their own devices to do how and as, and within the limitations and resources available? Again, this is a very difficult question to answer, uh, not least because uh, any measure that 
has to be taken at the face of work, at least to respect the hierarchy of control mm -hmm. measures. Now, this is, again, something which is uh, found in the Act and the Framework Directive, and it lists, according to a hierarchy of importance, the measures which should be taken. Uh, therefore, for example, one comes across the idea that collective protective measures should take precedence over individual collective, uh, individual protective measures. And face masks are uh, an example of individual or personal protective uh, clothing. Now, what is the implication in, in this? That at the pace of work, social distancing, asking workers to telework uh, where it is possible, for example, avoiding the congregation of workers uh, in rooms, avoiding overcrowding, installing policies uh, which re respect these situations. For example, here at OHSA, one of the policies that we have uh, developed uh, in, in response to COVID was to limit the number of people uh, congregated in the canteen at any given mm -hmm. time, telling workers that no more than two persons are to be allowed in the lift at any moment in time. No more than two persons are to go into cars. These are all uh, collective measures. And the individual measures would have to be uh, measures that uh, address the worker as an individual and that uh, would include face masks, uh, face masks. Now, this hierarchy of control measures also includes different measures which need to be implemented prior to deciding on issuing face masks. Amongst the things that are mentioned are that the workers need to be uh, informed of the hazard, need to be informed of the risks. They have to be involved in the risk evaluation exercise uh, and allow the participation uh, that basically identifies the control measures that are to be implemented. They have to be given basically all information regarding the risk uh, and the measures to be taken. But then there's another thing. It is the employer's responsibility also according to the Act to uh, ensure through a proper system of supervision that the workers are cooperating. When we talk about a suitable system of supervision, it means that the employer implements a system through which it is checked uh, that all the workers are making uh, full use of the personal protective clothing uh, that they are provided with, that they abide with all directions that have been that are being given by the company. Uh, one frequent comment that is often uh, heard is that employers, for example, uh, complain that the workers do not cooperate with the employer. Uh, this is something that is often heard on the media uh, when it is said that the workers are also at fault in the causation of accidents. Whereas that may be true, one has to understand that there are a number of measures that have to be uh, implemented and that are the full responsibility, that fall under the full responsibility of employer to ensure that such a situation does not arise, including through the implementation of uh, disciplinary measures in case of default. 
Dr. Gauci, thank you. As we draw to the close of our session, we do so in the very stark realization that we have touched upon barely a most complicated and intricate subject from aspects of the difference in perception of what constitutes a risk to different workers operating in the same workplace, to the mental health considerations of how do you ring fence, the source of a stress and where is it originating from and at which point is the employer responsible for the outcome of that. We really have, you know, we could merit several more sessions to delve into this. As we conclude, Dr. Gauci, I would like you to share with us your um, thoughts on what are your and the OHSA's ambitions in terms of objectives to achieve, say, in the next year, in the coming year. OHSA is an entity. It is uh, an entity which, in fact, uh, it values uh, the collaboration, the collaborative spirit with all duty holders. Whereas the law establishes very various harsh penalties, we prefer not to refer to those penalties, but prefer to work with others to ensure that uh, health and safety are safeguarded for all workers uh, in all workplaces, irrespective of the work which is being carried out. Towards reaching this end, we have uh, we do provide a lot of information. We prepare a lot of guidance documents, so people nowadays have all the information that they require uh, to take all the necessary measures. And therefore, uh, my appeal is that uh, all, all duty holders, be it an employer, a worker, a uh, service provider or, or whatever, uh, they see the value of having adequate levels of health and safety and take all the necessary measures uh, to ensure that the workers' health and safety uh, are safeguarded at all times. Thank you, Dr. Gauci. It's been an immense pleasure, a truly educational session. I'm certain from which we all learned a lot. I certainly did. Um, thank you very, very much for being with us. To our listeners, we wish you all the best and we look forward to sharing more sessions with you. We invite you to follow our socials for more information on that. Thank you for listening to Bit Podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter.